reason that we can say what a beautiful name is the name of Jesus is because Jesus is beautiful. When I speak the name of my wife, when I hear the name Laura, there's a lot of Laura's in the world, but when I hear the name Laura, I think of my wife. And I don't think, oh, wow, what a, I don't sit around and think, wow, what a phonetically wonderfully sounding name Laura is. (laughs) Although I had to learn how to pronounce it when I started dating her because I I called her Laura for a long time. You know, for like two or three dates, I called her Laura. And, you know, I thought we were getting along. We were knowing each other. And then about the third or fourth date, she said, you know, you say my name wrong. (laughs) I said, is it over or can we keep on going? (laughs) Just learn how to say my name right and we're okay. But I don't sit around and think about how beautiful that word is. Think about how beautiful she is. What a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. What a beautiful time we had last week. Amen? How many of you were here last Sunday and were able to experience our baptism and testimony Sunday? Wasn't that fantastic? So awesome. There's something, you know, the scripture says in Revelation that uh, as a church, as a people of God, in this cosmic battle that we are in, and for those of you who don't know it, we are in a cosmic battle between um, sin and death and salvation that's found in Jesus. But in this, this place of struggle in the, the now but not yet, the kingdom coming in and being seen through the life of Christ, but not fully seen for who he really is, not fully experiencing everything that we will experience in heaven. In this place of struggle against flesh and blood, while the Spirit of God lives in us. Um, Jesus is beautiful, and he's on his throne, and he is victorious, and he is pressing in, and he is delivering and setting people free. And it was such a beautiful thing last week to see the testimony of, of, uh, this is what I was going to say, in Revelation, it says, we overcome by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony and not loving our life unto death. Not that we are so enamored by God that if it was just God and nothing else, we're good with that. If it's just Jesus and nothing else, we're good. And we, we are willing to communicate that and profess that life we found in Jesus. And so we saw young and old last week. We saw little Noah Hollingsworth give his heart to Jesus. And then as I asked at the end of the service, if anybody else would was in a place where they wanted Jesus in their life as our eyes were closed, two or three other little kids about Noah's age raised their hand. Well, why did they do that? Because they saw something that happened in Noah's life, and they're like, I, I, want, I want that. And they experienced it. And then we saw young single adults and uh, older adults come up and not only plan to be baptized, we had some teenagers and some those that planned on being baptized. We had a couple of people that in the middle of the service said, you know what, I want to get baptized today. I didn't plan on it, but God's speaking to me. And so we just had a, a sweet and precious time, but why was that even possible? Possible because of Jesus. I, we, didn't, we didn't pressure people to get baptized. We, we weren't making calls throughout the week and saying, hey, you know, it's time for you to get baptized. We need some baptisms. We just said, hey, we're going to baptize. Anybody want to be baptized? And, and people signed up because of what Christ has done on them. And then even on the very morning of our baptism, the Spirit of God was working in some when I prayed um, as we enter into this next series, we're, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians for the next four weeks. 
and uh, it's about the good news. It's about the gospel. Uh, if you've read the book of Galatians, Paul uses about a thousand illustrations to try to communicate to you. The gospel is good news. Jesus is good news. I'm really wanting you to know Jesus is good news. And if we had like a recording of Paul, which we don't, I'm, I'm guessing that Galatians, out of all the letters, is Paul going, is he's the shouting evangelist in Galatians. It's good news! And those people that are telling you that it's something other than the good news, ah, they're bad people. Because the good news is good news alone. And we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. But when I was praying over this series, um, and as I was praying this morning, I was praying, Lord, let us just segue seamlessly from last week into this week. Where you were praying. Where Jesus is exalted. Where Jesus is lifted up. Where he is known to be the Savior that he is. The wonderful, good friend the deliverer that he is, the one who forgives graciously our sins. Amen? Jesus, would you be here in our midst in that way? Don't let my words distract from you. Lord, if I can help paint a picture or help explain a concept, so be it. But Lord, let me get out of the way so that people see you. It's a good morning, Jesus, when people leave thinking about you, thinking about how awesome you are. Jesus, would you be with us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. I'm a dog lover. This is not a commentary on dogs and cats, but dogs are better. And um, all the cat lovers get up and leave. Wait, wait, come back. I promise. I love cats, Lauren. I, I promise. Yeah. But I'm a dog lover. I grew up with dogs. Um, and when I was, when I was uh, in middle elementary school, four, for four years, I lived, in, and for those of you who have been around long enough, you know that I lived in the mountains of New Mexico. And uh, I had a beautiful, I, I, was this, I was this tall, and the dog was this tall. I had a beautiful Irish setter. The, the dog was as big as I was. As a matter of fact, uh, there would be times when I, I'd like to put Brandy. Brandy was my dog's name. Brandy would put his paws on my shoulders, and we would dance, you know. I loved Brandy. Brandy was an awesome dog. And we lived in New Mexico, a small rural town, so we could just open up the door in the morning and let Brandy run. Brandy would sometimes be gone an hour. Sometimes Brandy would be gone three hours. But eventually, Brandy would come back, needing some water, needing some food, needing some love, lie down, and then start the whole journey over again. One day, Brandy went out, and we did our thing, and a few hours later, Brandy wasn't back. My dad had a great whistle. He could whistle really loud. For those of you who can whistle loud, I envy you. It's like one thing in life that I've never been able to accomplish, that, that loud whistle just echo through the mountains. Dad, could you whistle? Brandy, Brandy hasn't come back. Dad whistles. Wait a few minutes. Brandy gets back. So we started getting nervous because the timing was off. It was unusual that Brandy wasn't responding in a way that he would normally do that, and so we went out looking for her. And however long, you know, it seemed like forever for, my, for me as a kid, it was probably 10 minutes, but however long it took, we found Brandy. Brandy had, uh, was a good mile away from our house. We found Brandy because we heard Brandy whimpering. 
And when we came upon Brandy, we realized that Brandy had been caught in a bear trap. Fortunate enough for Brandy, normally animals that get caught in bear traps, if they are still alive, they actually gnaw themselves out of, a, out of the trap because they're in so much pain and they're in so much fear that the, the, and Brandy had tried to do that. There were bite marks on Brandy's leg, but Brandy had um, succumbed to exhaustion and was just lying there on his side, whimpering, um, losing life. reliving the emotion as I'm telling it. If y'all give me a moment, I just need to cry. Um, I love that dog. Um, and so uh, my dad and I went up to Brandy, and Brandy was kind of, when Brandy saw us, there was a mixture of exhaustion, a mixture of kind of just panic. He was, he was a little bit disoriented. And dad said, Sean, talk to him. And put his, hand, put his head in his hand and stroke his head. He was resisting, and we needed him to calm down so that we could say something. See, what happens with traps is that when you, the, the whole way the trap works is that you step on a trap and it snaps, but, but the, the harder you pull, the more you're trapped, right? And uh, so uh, calming Brandy down, and then Dad reached down by his leg and opened the trap, and we set Brandy free. Funniest thing, after we carried Brandy on our shoulders, Dad carried Brandy on his shoulders and put him in the car and brought Brandy back to the house and gave Brandy some aspirin. Brandy laid down on the couch with aspirin, a cold pack over his head, blanket, you know, living like a king for about two or three, however long it was, you know, it's like, looked like a human, you know, a little Brandy human there recovering from the trap. Have you ever been trapped? Have you ever gotten caught in a bear trap, spiritually, emotionally, where you got your foot in, you got into something, you got into life, just be honest. Have you ever been trapped? Yeah, I was born. We got our legs, feet, arms, head, emotions, relationships, careers, ambitions. We got in deep in a trap, and the more that we struggle to get out, the more we get ensnared. We can't work our way out of the trap, and it's not until some of us, I believe many of us in the room, lied there long enough whimpering that our dad came along, put his head in our hand, his hand, said, be still, be patient, and he pulled us out of the trap. You know, my story's like that. You've heard my story, but I grew up, part of the story that I don't talk about much is that my earliest experiences with God were in the context of a pretty legalistic church. Anybody ever been legalistic? Don't raise your hand. Anybody, somebody around you might know you, might feel condemned. And have you ever been a legalistic church, a church that places much more emphasis on what uh, we need to be doing instead of the person who set us free? church that puts a lot more emphasis on how you're comparing to me and I'm comparing to you than how none of us compare to the marvelous grace of Jesus Christ. 
where the focus is so much more on the people that are sitting on the pew, in the pews and what, how we're getting it right than on the great deliverer who is not keeping score. Praise the Lord. I don't know who'd be winning in the room, but I would not be winning if we were keeping score of how holy we are. And I'm not minimizing the fact that when we find Jesus, he sets us free and he sets us clean and he allows us and helps us clean. I'm not minimizing his holiness and righteousness. As a matter of fact, in Galatians, Paul addressed that at the end of the chapter. But before we get to the end of the chapter, we have to start at the beginning of the chapter. And Paul is pretty uptight and frustrated by some who have come in and caused the church to make their gaze this direction instead of this direction. And Paul is the one writing the letter, and Paul ought to know. Amen? Sometimes we forget when we're reading the letters of Paul what his story is. Paul's got a story. When you and I talk, we have a story. I just so happen to get to tell my story all the time. So you know mine, but if we let each one of you preach or talk for a period of time, we'd hear your story and we'd understand that as you open the Bible and teach, where you teach from because of the story of God's redemption that's been worked out in you. And Paul has a story. And his story is pretty significant because as Paul describes himself, he describes himself in this way that he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning that he was the one that if they got into like a, a Bible quiz, he wins. If they got into a let's do the Ten Commandments and see how long we can do the Ten, Ten Commandments before someone thinks we messed up, he wins. He's the guy that's the most righteous, the most knowledgeable about Scripture, He's got it all together. He called himself the best of those kind of people. And not only was he a great Pharisee, but he was an incredible zealot for the purity of the church. And those that were polluting the purity of, of his faith, of his Jewish faith, and those who were polluting the Jewish faith at that time were Christians who were co-mingling some of the truths of his very belief into something about this man named Jesus. And he wasn't going to have that. And so Paul describes in different places in his letters at times when he is talking about himself, he describes how he persistently went out to find these Christians and to hold court, human court, where he was the judge. And sometimes... Those judgments ended in death, and we see that in Scripture when we read about the story of Stephen. As Stephen is being killed, the cloaks of the accusers who were throwing the stones fell at the feet of Saul. He was a bad man. But in his eyes, he was a really holy, good man. He was in God's favor. He was doing good enough. He was righteous. And then on a way to another persecution, on the road to Damascus, something extraordinary happens. The holy, righteous, good, awesome, wonderful Saul gets blinded by a light, the light of God. And Jesus himself says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
He goes off, he studies with God himself for three years. He comes back and hangs out with Peter for about two weeks to make sure that what he is learning from God is in conjunction with what's being taught from the church in Jerusalem. He's sent out, he goes and plants some churches. He comes back in fellowship 14 years later on a different journey to hang out with the council and talk about what he's been doing among the Gentiles. And we find ourselves in the context of Galatians with this story circulating as he's addressing this church that he's established. Paul, a zealot, comes to know Christ, so much so that at the end of Galatians 1, he talks about how when he went out that first time and, and introduced himself to the church's that had already been established under Peter's, um, under other, other disciples' uh, communication or preaching, that they had heard about him, but they were amazed that it was Paul. Paul? You're saved? You can stay with my neighbors. I'm not sure I want to have you in my house. I want to see you for a little bit to make sure you are who you say you are. And he said, over time, This is the Paul who, along with Barnabas, established the church that he's writing to, the Galatians. A man who had been set free from his sin and guilt. A man who had been set free from his self-righteousness. A man who now sees himself as one who was one of the chiefest of sinners, not one of the greatest greatest religious people, he, he talks of himself after salvation, I was the chiefest of sinners, I am the lowest of apostles, I am not worthy of what Christ has done for me, and yet he has redeemed me, therefore I will preach, and I will proclaim the goodness of salvation that I've experienced, Paul, that I've experienced in Jesus. He was a, he was a dangerous man again, but in a different way. He wasn't on a journey to go out and kill people and shame people and put people in their place. He was on a journey to liberate and to set them free by proclamation of the gospel. The gospel means good news. Good news. And Paul had experienced it. That's why he's so passionate when he hears about what's happening in Galatia. This is his church. These are his people. These are people who have experienced the life of Christ like he has. But now he understands, he hears that there are some Judaizers, some believers and, and or as he describes later, probably not believers because they are so emphasizing the works alongside of Christ that it's another gospel. It's not the gospel he's preached. Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. Let me say it again. Jesus plus your spending time with Jesus 15 minutes a day every day is not the gospel. Jesus plus you being really a good person and not being as much of a sinner as your neighbors is not the gospel. Jesus plus you becoming a missionary and traveling around the world 
is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. Listen how he describes the gospel both in Galatians and in different letters that he writes. Galatians 1, at the beginning of this chapter, he says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 4, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us. Rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Romans 1, the good news, the gospel, is about his son Jesus. He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel, 2 Timothy 2.8, was Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures have said. This is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and he defeated sin and he's alive. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. We pray this morning that you would encounter the living Jesus because that's the gospel. Not some kind of formula, because what the gospel is not is, pray this prayer with me, and if you say this prayer right, you've received the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is living. The gospel is alive. The gospel is a person that knocks on the, heart, the door of your heart, Michael, and says, do you want to be free? And Michael says, I want to be free. Then believe in me, Michael. That's the gospel. It's Jesus coming to each one of our lives and saying, I want you to know me and to be delivered, forgiven, healed, of your sinfulness and restored the fullness of life. So the first two chapters of Galatians, and we're going to race through Galatians these next four weeks and pull out, the, pull out some of the key components. But the first two chapters of Galatians, Paul is writing to his dear church, this group of believers that he led to the Lord, who are being deceived by these Judaizers with a different gospel and he's having to defend himself because one of the ways that they got into the church is they discredited Paul, or at least they tried to. And so he starts off in verse 1, and he says right, off the, right at the beginning, I'm Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And by the way, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to you. I've got people around me who understand that I'm preaching the good news of Jesus, and I want you to know that I have seen Jesus myself. And the gospel that I preach to you is Jesus. Paul is assuming, asserting, excuse me, his authority right off the bat. Why? Because his authority has been questioned. Christ appointed me. The church affirms me. And he's feeling as a father as he writes to the church. And he starts out with fiery rhetoric. In verse 6, he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself 
through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the gospel or the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. See, heresy always has a measure of truth in it mixed with a lie that deceives people. It's the most dangerous thing that can happen in the church is that people could come along and take part of the truth and mix it with something that is not of God so that it weighs people down. And as you see later in this letter, and it reintroduces them or it places them back under the law, choosing to make works their salvation. By twisting a little truth and questioning the authority of the truth that we believe in. And see, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. Right? It's interesting as I studied Jehovah's Witness in school, the Jehovah's Witnesses got a lot of truth. It, it claims the Bible. It has the Bible. It just happens to be that parts of the Bible have been just changed just a little bit. Just a few words. Even just articles like A's and B's are removed and therefore change the complete meaning of the gospel itself. John 1.1 in the Jehovah's Witness Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. Oh, Jesus isn't God. He's just a little God, created by God, and therefore not divine and not the, the savior that we know God to be, fully divine, fully human, with God. It's just an article that changes the whole meaning of the gospel. This is what was happening in the Galatian church. Not that argument itself, but there was a twisting of the truth and placing a burden upon the people that was heavy, a yoke, and it was serious to Paul. So serious to Paul that in verses 8 and 9, he says, let them be under a curse if they're going to teach this. Let me say it again. Let them be under a curse. I mean business. You don't mess with the truth of God and change it, therefore, to put a burden on people that they can't bear. We cannot be good enough Christians apart from Christ. We are Christians because of Christ and through Christ. And in regards to circumcision, circumcision, this was one of the things that they were stressing, that as believers, Gentile believers who had been converted, they need to be circumcised. And Paul is like saying, hey, circumcision has nothing to do with it anymore. It's not a physical act. It's not joining a group of people through our physical response. Jesus has circumcised our hearts. Our lives are circumcised. Our lives have been redeemed by God. We have been marked not in the flesh, but in the spirit that's eternal. We are circumcised in Christ. We are one, Gentile and Jew. And these Judaizers say, no, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the religious laws of Judaism. You've got to honor the festivals. And so he says, even that question, circumcision, when he came back to talk, uh, to Peter and the, and, the, and the leaders of the church, 
came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow the Jewish regulations. And he gets so hot because this is one of the, this is one of the main themes of his letter, that in chapter 5, as he's bringing the topic back up again, this is what he says. He says, I just wish, I think he's yelling right now. I think the thing, it's like, okay, I've said it, I have four chapters, I'm just going to go for it so that you understand. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. I'm not going to elaborate on that, but that <laughs> is a threat. And you know, sometimes I read that and I'm like, Paul, come on, didn't you go to seminary? I mean, there's a much more subtle way to do that, brother. I mean, if it's in a mixed company, you know, it's not appropriate. There's different illustrations. want to get the point across. Quit being fixated on what you used to be. We have everything that the one who gave his life for us needs. He's serious about the point. We're free. Not slaves anymore. And he wants to keep the good news, the good news. And so from the end, from chapter 1, 11 through 2, he makes his defense. I'm not going to go into that. And I want to get to the crux of the good news at this front part of the letter in verses 14 and following. Read with me. And when I saw that you were not following the truth of the gospel, speaking of the Galatians, he said, I said to Peter in front of all of them. Oh, I'm sorry. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others. This is in Jerusalem. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. We're all sinners, and that would be what Paul would say. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we, believe, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we, we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the, the law I already tore, tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Good news. Jesus gave himself for me. Good news, he's alive. Good news, I can trust that he has done it all for me. Good news is that all that I have to do is believe and have faith in Jesus. Do you believe in the good news? Bad news is that I have to be good enough for God. That's bad news. 
Bad news, I have to keep all the law. Bad news, I have to believe in Jesus. I have to believe in Jesus to do all these things, plus do some other things as well. That's bad news. No one can fulfill or obey the law. How many in the room today have not sinned today? Well, let's go ahead and raise our hands. I, mean, I want to keep score. Who has not sinned today? And if you have a spouse, spouse, get ready to, to tell them that they're wrong. Okay? Who has not sinned today? Okay, you can keep your hands down. Let's just go ahead and make a tally. See how many days you got. How many hours? How many minutes? How many seconds? If you're judging me right now, you've sinned just now. All right? Okay, just want you to know. How many of you have not sinned today? How many of you didn't sin yesterday? You got two days in a row. Stand up if you haven't sinned this week. Do we need to go any further? Do I still have some takers? I'm, I'm up to a month, Pastor. <laughs> Get the point? No one can fulfill the whole law. I didn't even, I didn't even. I asked the question, now I might have some takers who are just not brave enough to raise their hand, but probably nobody is going to raise their hand. I didn't even have time to describe to you what law is without you already going in your mind. I think I believe it's law. We're all lawbreakers. I'm not glorying in that. I'm not saying that that is great. As a matter of fact, God hates I'm thinking that thought, I've sinned. <laughs> the truth is God knew we couldn't do it. So he established the law. The law was established to show us that we were sinners. That's what Galatians 3.19 says. We are not like or good or perfect like God. He has given us a mirror to see us. Yesterday, Charlie Halley, for those of you who know Charlie Halley, Charlie used to be our on our staff here, and he came back and did some teaching this week, and there's about 25 that listened to his teaching, and part of his teaching, he was teaching about spending time with Jesus, and he was unpacking scripture memory plans, and it's, it's pretty extensive, and I was talking to a couple people afterwards, and you know, that was early on in the teaching, and they were like, all right, professor, that's enough. You are more holy than I will ever be. I cannot do that. Literally, they were like, the one person I was talking to was like, man, I was like, I was done after that. I, you ever been around a Christian, you know, that you're looking at, you're like, man, I'm never going to be that holy. They smile all the time. <laughs> that Brennan Hollingsworth, boy, I tell you what, he cannot smile that. I want to see him when he's mad. <laughs> Too holy.
sudden, he knows you. We were prisoners to sin before Christ. And when we choose to make that system the system that proves our worth to God, we become prisoners. Not literally. We're not ever imprisoned again because of what Christ has done for us. But we submit to that system of He set us free, so why would we live as if we're not free? That's what we're called about. You've you've seen miracles, he said in Galatians 2. You've seen the power of God. You've been delivered. And did you think you were delivered or you saw that power because of the good things you've done? No, it's because of the Spirit of God that's in you. Then why would you believe that you could be good enough by doing some circumcision or following a religious festival or submitting yourselves to that again? It's the Spirit of God in you. Live free. Those who depend on the law, he says, are under a curse. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. I love that. All of them. Not most of them. Remember the rich young ruler? What should I do? I've done all of these really good things, Jesus. I'm a good man. Yes, you are. Jesus actually really loved this guy. He he expresses that in how he responds. He moved with compassion for this man. He's in love with this man that he's created, but he recognizes his heart breaks because this man is is putting all of his, his, his righteousness on what he can do. And he knew how this man was going to respond. And so he cuts the place of this man's weakness, his money. And he says, I tell you what, give everything you have away and now follow me. Well, is it about all of us giving our stuff away so that we can be saved? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, he's just saying anything plus me. Your righteousness plus is not going to do it because you're not righteous. No, not one of us, the scripture says, is righteous. None of us. Rescued from the curse by Jesus. I love this. Listen to this. That Christ has rescued us from the curse when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Jesus rescued us from ourselves. The criminal on his own had to do it. The Roman centurion had to speak up. Surely you must be the son of God. Jesus died. Ultimately, we are saying that there's no need for Jesus when we say Jesus is Lord. When we say that, you know, Jesus, I know that you died for me, but I just want to keep you safe. That's all I want. Jesus, I know that you died for me, but you know what? There's got to be something else I've got to do. That's all I want. It would be like Jesus dying. Picture this. Paul said in Galatians, for I do not set aside 
the works of God or what God has done for me. Because if I did, if I thought that attaining relationship with Jesus could be done through the law, done through good works, then Christ has died for nothing. So let's illustrate that. What if when Jesus had died and they saw him die and they wept and they cried and they, 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 they grieved the disciples that it's finished, this man has died and he's in the grave and then three days later he rise, rises from the grave and he comes and he presents himself. You remember at the end of the Gospels, he presents himself to the disciples in the room. He walks through the door and there's Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. And they're sitting at the table and Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, walks in and they look over and they go, hey, Jesus, how's it going? Anyway, so, you know, we're like, and they just totally ignore him. He's like, hey, guys, I'm alive. I've done it. Uh, you know what? We're good, Jesus. You're a good guy, but you know what? It's not going to work for us. Thanks for what you've done. See ya. It's absurd. We, none of, that's crazy. And yet. Paul is saying, when we add to the gospel anything other than what he's done for us, we are saying it wasn't enough what he did for us. Worship team, can you come up and we will very close here with some thoughts. Here's the good news. Remember my illustration with Brandy? Shared, with it, shared, shared this thought at the beginning, but I want to share it again. Brandy, my dog's salvation, so to speak, when she was trapped, or if we put ourselves in that position, if he, she was enslaved to the ravages of sin. Brandy had to, had to allow dad set him free. He had to give up and say, Dad, say, Dad, my, in this context, my father, I'm not getting out of this trap, but if you get me out of this trap, I'll be free. The good news is that Jesus today, he's saying, if any of us would look not to our own You're in a trap, and you're not ever getting out of it. No matter how hard you work, no matter how good you try to become, no matter how many Hail Marys you say, no matter what you do, you're not getting it out of getting out of it in your own ability. But the good news is you don't have to do all that. You just have to believe. Paul had used an illustration in Galatians about Abraham. You see, the covenant that God was given to to us as children of Abraham, the, the, the children of Abraham are not children who do the works. They're not Jewish people. They are people of faith. They put their faith and trust in the covenant of the promise that God has made. And Paul takes that seed of Abraham and he illustrates that Christ is the seed, the child that embodied the promise. And that if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're receiving the blessing of Abraham, blessing of covenant relationship with God. We have Christ in us. It's by faith. It's by trust in Jesus. 
where are you today? And for those of us who are believers, what a terrible thing it would be for us to put a yoke on somebody like these so-called believers are doing in this case. What a, what a terrible thing it would be for the Lord to hear us say, hey, brother, so glad that you put your faith in Jesus. But you know what? You need to be a little bit more holy if you're really going to be seen as a as a child of God. And don't get me wrong, God wants us to be holy. But what if we put a yoke on others, including ourselves, that said we aren't good enough until we do something right? Wouldn't that be terrible? It's not how I have So my question for us today is, do I know that Jesus? And do I know that good news? Would you you close your eyes and would you just pray with me? responses this morning.